This, this, this is, 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 Disciples. Welcome to podcast episode number 770. We are the Fight Disciples. This is your MMA review from the weekend just gone. Before we get stuck into it, please, if it's the first time you've been here, subscribe. I know you probably hear this all the time when you tune into podcasts and all this type of stuff, but this is a good one. You know, people, people, well, people say that it's a good one. <laughs> so we, we kind of go along with it. Uh, hopefully over the next 45 minutes to an hour, you're going to conclude yourself that it's a good one. And if you do, hit that subscribe button. Uh, you can get it via our website, fightdisciples.com. And you can also tune into us on YouTube. Fight Disciples is what you're looking for on that channel if you prefer to watch stuff. All right. Um, at the weekend, it was UFC 291, Salt Lake City, Utah, the destination for the BMF Championship. Whatever that means to you, uh, that's down to you. But what it meant to us was that two of the very best dudes that the UFC and MMA in general have to offer, especially at lightweight, were throwing down once again. They've gone before and they gave us an absolute firecracker. They were going again. And it had us absolutely salivating. In fact, the whole weekend had us salivating. We've already done our boxing review, so we were all high on everything that was Spence and Crawford. And then, obviously, with Gaethje and Poirier going at it as well, we were just like, where do we look? Couldn't take in enough content last week. And what I loved, which was kind of comparable with both of these contests, we love trash talk, don't we? We love people that go back and forth and give it a little bit and give it that pot. Give it the old, even though I'm not into WWE, give it a little <laughs> bit of WWE sell. Right across boxing, respectful all week. Just two classy dudes that knew, listen, our styles and our fight is going to sell itself. We don't need to do whatever we need to do. And that is exactly what we got in MMA as well. Two of the classiest operators. We've been lucky enough to be around these guys. We know them. <laughs> and for them to just be like, listen, man, I respect him. He respects me. We've got one fight. Just keep playing the re relays on that, man. Just replay that, that was, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that'll sell what's going to happen on Saturday night. And even though it was a shorter fight than the first one, it absolutely did not disappoint. These two, fucking hell. Can they fight every week, please? Because it was just fantastic again. It was mega. And, and actually, weirdly, with... Because I think universally now you realise that, okay, Justin Gaethje's pushed himself... Right back up there again. Two standout performances now. He's next. You've got Charles Oliveira going back out to Abu Dhabi to take on Islam Makachev for the lightweight belt in October. Gaethje gets the winner. That seems to be the resounding conversation. But that's October. We're in July. Mm. That mm. means that he won't get a title shot until more than likely 2024. Correct, yeah. Well, this is 1-1. Look at yeah! Look at you, Poirier greedy! Beat, look at you, greedy! Poirier beat Gaethje, stopped him in the first fight, albeit six years ago. Gaethje's just stopped Poirier in the second fight. It's one one in it. Oh my days! Let's do the let's do the let's do the trilogy before the end of the year. Let's do the New York fight, the rubber match. Stick it on New York. Open up, open up the pay per view Ooh. in New York. <laughs> Why the fuck not? Why not? What's Gaethje going to do? Set out six months? Because you've yeah, got August, September, you've got three months for that fight. So you're looking at at least three months before the winner's available to fight Gaethje, at least. Don't forget your Christmas in there. Don't forget Islam is a Muslim, so there's certain holidays at certain, certain times of the year when he doesn't fight. Realistically, looking at a calendar, is Justin Gaethje going to now sit out until the winner of Makachev, uh, Charlie Olives. What if Charlie Olives wins? Will Makachev go, oh, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Just give him a straight rematch, kids. I need a straight rematch myself, that's how it works. Will that happen? So I don't know. I don't know whether Gaethje's just going to sit back and maybe he will. Maybe he will. He's worked his entire career to get to this point again. He's finally got there. He's better than ever. Maybe he will. But if I'm UFC, I'm like, tell you what, boys. Should we rubber match it? Keep you nice and busy. Sign me the fuck up. Put it on in New York. Oh my god, got me, got me giddy now. Um, this, listen, let's talk about the display yeah. because the first round was incredibly competitive. It was nip and tuck. It was exactly, it was round six. I say round six. It finished in round four last time, oh, so it was literally right. a carry on, wasn't it? Round number five. It was, a, it was a carry on, and 
I actually thought Dustin just nicked it with that little splurry at the end where um, he cuts Dustin over his uh, over his right yeah. eye. I thought he yeah. was, I thought he was very very accurate <laughs> with some of those hands. The low leg kicks from uh, uh, Justin, absolutely top class once again. Like I said, nip and tuck for about four minutes, and then I just thought Dustin just edged that round. But again. They sit down after five minutes and I'm like going, fucking hell, here we go again. Look at these two. They're just like, our styles just mix so beautifully. Yeah. Um, and then you get that second round. And the second round is playing out very similar, very similar, very similar. But you can just see the development of Justin Gaethje. And don't, under, oh, don't underestimate the fit. He hasn't just, if you, if you, if you don't, I don't want to be patronising to people. If, you, if you're just watching it as a as a fan without Thanks. any knowledge of what it is, yeah, you're just watching a fight, you just think, oh, he's thrown a head kick, he's hit the Man. guy, and that's uh-huh. what's finished it. Great stuff. And it looks optically fantastic. But it's all the little intricacies that are woven into that pattern of the first five minutes into the second, into the two minutes of the, of the, of the second round, and then just the way that he sets it and delivers it Mate, it was just outstanding, and and just shows how far this guy's developed since that uh, first fight with Dustin Poirier, and how much he is taking and growing as a mixed martial artist. We saw him at two eight six against Fazeev. We've now seen him at two nine one in this, and he's getting better, mate. He's getting better, Justin Gaethje, which is weird. Yeah. How can you get better when you've had twenty fights? When your storied career is that of the human highlight reel? when you're known for taking one to land two, when you're known for fighting with your face, when you're known for being this press-forward marauder zombie monster that's just fucking unstoppable unless you fucking tie him up and submit him. Like, imagine being that guy. Imagine fighting for the title twice, coming up short twice, going back to the gym, going back to the dress at 30-odd 30, 30 years of age, having had this storied career. You know, your legacy's assured, man. You're fucking... A, a, a firm fan favourite and sitting down with your coach and going okay we got to the top of the mountain and we fell short twice got submitted twice what are we doing wrong how do we get to the goal of becoming UFC champion and to be able to have the intelligence to sit down and go right let's change the way we fight then That's not, he's still super super active in there he's still massively entertaining yeah but he's no no longer a front foot pressure fighter all the time, and he proved that against Fazeev, and he had to he lost the round again. In fact, he lost the round here. It's close, but he probably lost the first round. Yeah. But that this new patient approach from Justin Gaethje, that's been installed in him clearly by Trevor Whitman. This new like, you know what? Let them come to us a little bit. We haven't got to chase it all the time. You haven't got to set the pace all the time. You haven't got to if you get hit, get one back quick. Be a bit more patient. Be a bit more calculated with your approach. And yes, action-wise, it was a continuation from the first fight six years ago. But actually, visually, when you look at it, six years ago, it was Gaethje on the front foot and it was Dustin Poirier countering. It was Gaethje kicking away at them low licks like a lunatic. And it was Poirier trying to slip the low kick and land heavy punches. And it was ultimately Gaethje's willingness to take a shot to try and land one that set Poirier up to outbox him and stop him on the feet. This time around, Gaethje comes out and Gaethje's on the back foot a little bit more. So Poirier comes forward. Poirier's like, yeah, man, I'll lead the dance. Fucking I'm Dustin Poirier. Happy days. I'm happy to go offensive. I've just chopped up Conor McGregor back to back on the front foot. I'll go front foot again. No fucking problem. But in doing so, he's just allowing Gaethje that extra split second to, to try and put a read on him, to try and do something, to try and pull something out the bag. Now in that first round, which again, I'm like you, I thought Dustin just, just edged it by busting up that left eye, a straight left hand. And then a few seconds later, he caught, he catches him with the right hook, which ultimately bursts it open. That's damage. He wins the round. But in that first round, Gaethje throws two head kicks, two right leg head kicks, one around the 230 mark, one in the last 30 seconds or whatever. But he doesn't throw it behind the right hand. He just throws it. And Poirier yeah. catches both of them. Sees it. He sees it coming. But in the third round, he steps it up in the second round. In the second round, he changes it up a little bit. Instead of just throwing a high kick on its own, it's behind a one-two combination. It's a sharp jab, straight right hand. So Poirier's like, oh, here's the right hand. But as he throws the right hand, the hip's already turning to throw the high kick around the top. 
it was absolutely unreal. Poirier gets his arm up, but the shot comes down it. the back of the ear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's too much power. He thinks it's going to be a punch. It's a high kick. Comes right round, hits him around the back of the head. Poirier goes down heavy, just like Kamaru Osman did a year ago. Yeah, follow up little ground and pound. Hey ho, this is the fight game. Even the sliding tackle, Roy Keane style. Hey, do you think <laughs> did he make it? Did he yeah. make it home? Did he make best? Exactly, <laughs> unbelievable. But yeah, that just shows you the evolution of Justin Gaethje. He is not yeah. just that guy. Clever. He's he's thinking a lot more now. He's thinking a lot more, and that and he's getting, as you say, he's getting better. Fazeev, wow. Poirier, oh shit, this is the guy. This is the best Justin Gaethje we've ever seen. Yeah. And that's what makes then another title assault really, really interesting because we've seen him go up against Charles and listen, Charles took care of him quite comfortably. We've seen him obviously go up against Habib and okay, it's mildly competitive, but Habib was doing Habib things that day and he, he took him out. Islam is what you would class as an evolution, I suppose, of... Of Habib, so uh, you know, to the naked eye, you'd look at that and you go, "What's the point?" He's been there before. We know he can't beat those guys. Yeah, but that was that version of him. Correct. This version that we're seeing, the one against Fiziev, was like, "Oh man, right, okay." But this one, even even more so, because this guy that he's done this against is a guy that has been very similar levels to him, been right up there, and the way that he sets this up, you you can see with with the uh, with Poirier's reaction to it. Because, listen, they're both classy dudes. And at the end of the fight, you can see Poirier like going, mate, I've done that so many times to so many people. I know what this level is. So for you to do that to me and me not see it, I've got to give that respect. And he fucking high fives the dude, doesn't he? And he goes, absolutely. I I actually think that Poirier was impressed that that had happened because because he knew what level that had to be in order to make that that happen, which kind of then just solidifies where Gaethje is now at. I'm, listen, like you've just said, there's a period of time now which is going to be weird as to how they navigate the Justin Gaethje story. I'm not against another one with Poirier because they just gel so well and me as a fight fan, I would absolutely sit there and lap that up one more time. Um, Poirier will absolutely make the adjustments and he'll be ready. But Gaethje is just on this crazy little trajectory right now of which I think would propel him quite nicely towards the winner of Islam Makachev against Charles Oliveira. If Charles wins, I can't see the UFC running it straight back for for Makachev because he hasn't had the longevity. I think from a Charles point of view, he had the longevity, he went away, he beat the number one contender in Benil Dariush, and that's what's got him the opportunity to to fight again for for the championship fight. I think if Charles wins, it would be Gaethje, part two. If Islam wins, it would absolutely be Gaethje at 155. But then you've also got Volk trying to get in on this conversation uh, as well, haven't you? It's, it, it's weird. 155 right at the top, it seems to be bottlenecking a little bit. So if there is a period of time where Justin Gaethje wants to be active and the, there's nothing out there for him, running it back for the rubber match with Dustin Poirier does make an awful amount of sense. Yeah, I think cut aside as well, he's come onto this relatively fresh. And I think that will do his confidence <clears throat> an awful lot of good as well because he knows how high-level Dustin is. So he's obviously got a loss against him previously. And I think he'll go back and him and Trevor Whitman will be like, yeah, man, what we're doing is we've evolved. We've gotten better and we're ready. And our co- his confidence will be on a different level. I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if, because, you know, Charlie Olives wasn't fallen over himself initially to go out to Abu Dhabi. In fact, he publicly claimed out meant not really interested in going out to Abu Dhabi to fight Islam. You know, the timing's not right, whatever. No doubt the UFC persuaded him with a bag of money and bag of opportunity and let him know that don't take it now, it might not come. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Gaethje, relatively fresh, gets fit, gets fit, gets gets that opportunity. I could see Charlie Olives maybe. You well, know, they've booked maybe... it. They've booked Islam and Charles. They've said that it's happening, so they're working towards it. But what you're saying is, if he stays fit, stays fresh, you never know. And there's a fallout. If Charlie Olives pulls out for whatever reason, then I could see Gaethje jumping in there absolutely. And that's in this kind in, of form, that's not in char- that's not in Oliveira's makeup, though, is it, mate? I know that no, he doesn't fancy. Uh, he, he didn't want Abu Dhabi. I get, I completely get that because of how he was treated. Not treated. He was treated really well, but he was just given yeah. so many media he obligations. He was yeah, like yeah. work, work, like to the bone in the build up to the fight, which he says put put him off the obviously uh, the contest and obviously the time difference and all that type of stuff. I get completely what you're saying. It's not in his makeup, 
But injuries do happen if he was to get injured. Correct. Get you stay fit, man. Stay fit yeah. because you could get catapulted in. And in this kind of form, he's got nothing to lose. He's yeah, got absolutely nothing to lose. You know, and I just think, does this next level of evolution, will we see him start to take people down? I'm not saying that's a good thing against someone like a, a Charlie Olives or even an Islam. But why not? Why not? You know, why, why not? This yeah. incredible strength, this wrestling background that is an incredibly high level that you've completely and utterly not, not used throughout your MMA career. Why not? If you're going to be everything you want, you could possibly be, why just be a banger? Why just be a guy that fights on the feet? You've got this incredible skill set that you're not even dipping into, this box of tricks, this toolbox that you're not mm. even using. Is that what comes next in this next generation of Justin Gaethje? Because what I'm seeing so far, I've been incredibly impressed with. Patient, precise, setting traps, setting things up, delivering yeah. big moments. They're two massive wins for Justin Gaethje back-to-back. Fiziev, Poirier, I'm excited to see what comes next. And to be honest, I'm, I'm surprised he shrugged off the Conor McGregor talk as, as quickly as he did. Maybe it is the frustration of supposedly being offered to him six times and Conor's turned it down six times. But I do think he needs something in the interim. If it isn't Poirier, then who? Well, you know, getting a sack full of money taken on Conor McGregor kind of makes a bit of sense. But I, I just think there's something else to come for Justin Gaethje, whether it's Islam at, you know, supposed late notice or it's someone in the interim. He has to have another fight. He can't just wait for potentially six months to get his title shot. Not the yeah. form he's in. Keep it going, man. Keep it going. Yeah. Get that confidence. Keep it rolling. Also, from Dustin's point of view, you look at a defeat, it's a knockout defeat, and people obviously jump on the train and just look at the headline. Nah, we're just talking about one elite split-second moment yeah. in a fight that you were absolutely well in. Um, he's still in this mix. He's Dustin Poirier. He just came up against that split second of genius from uh, from Justin Gaethje. Um, like you said, I would love them both of them to roll it back. I think it'd be I think it'd be great if they roll it back. It makes an awful amount of sense, especially it's uh, New York, which hopefully will be in attendance. And if you kick off the pay per view with that, the rest of the card, you know, full well, he's going to be absolutely oh. ridiculous. <laughs> um, now then. Criteria time, kids. Yes, we can't go a full show without any criteria, can we? You know what I mean? It can't just be knockout subs. Listen, the card was great because you had 11 fights. Awesome, mega. Um, eight finishes on there, and the three fights that went the distance were all great fights as well. Um, and one of the fights that did go the distance was the co-main, Jan Blakowicz versus uh, Alex Pereira. We said in the build-up, didn't we? Altitude. This man's been to Salt Lake. He knows what it's like. The air is very, very thin. And if you're a big boy... Fighting yeah. in that little cage, uh, yeah. it can get to you. It can get to you quite quickly. Um, and after five minutes, it was evident that it most certainly got to Jan Blakowicz, and I actually think it got to Alex Pereira as well. Um, he was a little bit slower than he normally is, and of course, he stepped up in weight to two or five. He's not at one eight five, so he's obviously bigger. He's carrying more muscle mass. He's carrying more weight. I get all these types of things, but I've seen him kickbox at two or five, and he's a lot quicker than what I saw uh, at the weekend uh, against uh, Jan Blakowicz. Uh, Jan's taken to social media immediately saying, robbed, absolutely robbed. Listen, although I might disagree with the result, and the result is a split decision in favour of Alex Pereira, robbery is very tough because rounds two and three are incredibly close. Incredibly, we're talking like one or two strikes maybe that sway it in the favour of one, you know, e either way. Um People on social media, please stop referring to the takedowns. Stop doing it. If he does nothing with the takedown, if he doesn't take advantage of the takedown, it is just a change of position, okay? The takedown does not win you the round. Stop saying it does. We are looking... It, it doesn't help that fucking Dykes DC and Dominic <laughs> Cruz like, oh, he's took him down. That swayed the round. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It fucking no, it hasn't. hasn't at all. It doesn't. Read the rules, what? boys. Jesus Christ. They know, though, and this is what is frustrating. They, um, what is he doing with the takedown? Now, listen, first round, I'm going to test Polish power. Are you? Why are you shooting for his legs then? We in 10 seconds. <laughs> because you're not thick, are you, Jan? Clever. I like it. Use the path of least resistance. This is mixed martial arts. Let's test this kid's grappling. Yeah, he's big. Let's get hold of him. Now, obviously, you have the standing guillotine attempt from Alex Pereira. Sound. Okay, I don't think it was 
as uh, it, it looked better than it actually was because Jan's there giving it the thumbs to Mark Goddard. Then he ends up getting him on the deck. Um, I counted four attempts at a rear naked choke. Not one of them's in, if we're really, really honest. Not one of them's in. They're more face cranky, aren't they? He doesn't let his hands go because there's, lo- there's loads of conversation in the aftermath of this. Was round one a 10-8? I don't think it was because there's, yes, you've got dominance. Yes, you've got that over a duration. You don't have damage, really. The, you know, he's he's not busting him up, is he? He's not like let, wading in on him. The, those rear naked choke attempts aren't fully in. So we're not talking about fight ending scenarios, really. It's close, but I don't think it is. And for me, it's a 10 9 year Blackwich first round, mate. Yeah, I agree with you. The, and, and I love, you know, me, I'm, I'm all for giving 10 8s and 10 7s if rounds are wide and when you compare round number one with rounds two and rounds three yes by far it's the it's the easiest round to score it's the most dominant round by either fighter throughout the whole fight because he's got back control because he's got the body triangle in because he is fishing for submissions or at least repeated rear naked chokes but as you say there was a there was a few moments where where Perea's Perea's uncomfortable yeah absolutely there was no point where you were like this is it this is the moment and it was the breaks in between those attempts as well, where I thought Jan was having a little bit of a blow. Where Smash he away. Just exactly. Wasn't, he wasn't raining in punches. He wasn't punching to the body. He wasn't throwing punches from behind, where Perheya was basically just defending his back. You know, there was no real action there to make me go, he's busting him up, man. He's busting yeah. him up. Where, and, and the biggest telltale, Sam, was the end of the round itself, when Perheya just got up and walked away. You know, and Jan's knackered, and Jan was like, uh, uh, uh. and the yes, the altitude obviously played a massive part on this fight. Being looked like the two of them were fighting in treacle a little bit. Let's be honest, they did. Yeah, um, but also that body triangle from Jan, like that's tiring, man. When you're a fucking big dude, he's probably two twenty in there, easy two twenty five, and you lock your legs around another two twenty five as waist for four minutes, and you ride his back in the manner in which he did then that's going to sap the energy out of your legs. That's going to drain your gas tank. So that certainly didn't help Jan. And you can see that when he comes out into round number two. I thought round number two, again, they're both exchanging shots. Perheya's on the front foot a lot more. I thought Perheya's jab looked incredibly slow from what I've seen previously. Um, low leg kicks, he was more clipping them in rather than powering them in. But I thought even in round number two, there was moments where Jan did suck up the energy to throw a three-punch combo and would land it. And, you know, that that he would leap forward with the left hand. It would get round Perheya's guard. It would clip him on the chin. I thought round two was really close up until the um, up until the last 90 seconds when Perheya, there was a takedown. Perheya got back to his feet. The last 90 seconds, I think Perheya was like, shit. It was a close round with the takedown. Doesn't score with the takedown. Optically, doesn't look good. Pay puts his foot down a little bit for the last 90 seconds of round number two and does enough in round number two's last 90 seconds against an exhausted Yan to take round number two. So I've got it 1-1 going into the last. I think that yeah. was quite clear Maybe, to see. Yeah, I think the last, even shorter than the last 90, if you look at that last 25, 30 seconds, Pereira's like, Yan's in trouble. Pereira's like throwing their hands around and you're thinking to yourself, fucking hell. Like, yeah. And you can see at the end of the round visibly, like when the hooter comes in, there's a bit of relief on Jan's face because he's thinking, fuck me. He's not throwing anything back. And oh, Pereira's start, starting to go. So I, I agree with you. I think in that, in that last sequence, Pereira just nicks that round. Optically, you look at it, you go, well, he stood up, he's throwing, he's done miles better Pereira than he did in the first round. Do you yeah. automatically giving him? No, Jan was well in that up until like the period of time that you were talking. And it was only in that last seat, those last sequences where Pereira then starts to connect and really cause a bit of bother that I thought he just nicked it. So I agree with you. What a piece going into the last one. Um, and the last one, again, it's it's incredibly close. I actually, I actually think the more, the cleaner effective work in this round is Jan Blakowicz's. Now, I know that the, you... I, I love it when judges do put credence on those low leg kicks. And optically, you look at it and you can see Jan being... He moves, doesn't he? Every time he does get booted with that calf kick, he, he literally... Yeah. He's off balance a touch. Therefore, optically... And, 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 it, and it was a big the big welt on his leg as well. Like the, yeah. the, We didn't actually see it on screen, but the commentary team were raving on about this big welt on Jan's leg and how he was taking all this damage. So, Yeah. 
so optically you look at it and you go, oh, that looks damaging. And it, listen, it is, absolutely it is. But Jan had a couple of little bursts in there where he'd land with lefts, jabs, rights. Alex wasn't landing with massive, massive shots. There's nothing in there. Nothing the snapping down... his head back. Yeah. Whereas Jan snapped it, pay his head back a few times, especially with yeah. that left hook lead round the guard. Bam! You know, there's a few times Perea's head come back. Listen, there was some good moments from Perea and Perea yeah, there was. landed a lot of body shots. He was punching away to the body, which was unusual to do deep into a third round of a close fight. Usually that's something you would do early on because those aren't necessarily type of shots that catch the eye of the judges. But the, you know, right up until Jan scored the takedown, scored the takedown, got the takedown. Yeah. I was like, mate, Jan, you're having the better of this. You don't need yeah. to take him down. That old school mentality. I'll take him down. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cement in the eyes of the judges that I've got to take down as well. So tick that box as well. I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't think he needed to do it. He didn't do anything I, with it, and nothing happened it, no. after that takedown that changed my mind on how the round should be scored. So I'm not going now. Oh, hey, I lost because of the takedown. Far from no. it. Jan had done enough good work to win the third round before then, anyway. I think that's why he's done it, though, mate. I think he's done it because he's fucking blowing out of his ass. I think he's thought, right, <clears throat> just spent three and a half, four minutes on the feet here. I think I've won that four and a half minutes. Let's just hold this fucker down so he can't catch me. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's what I think he's done because he doesn't actually do any weight. He just holds him. So yeah. that from, from the takedown onwards, there's nothing really there. I was actually quite impressed that a lot of the time with Alex Pereira getting back to his feet in those moments, yeah. you know, getting to the cage wall, Climbing the cage wall and getting it and getting it back on his feet. So he, he's absolutely shown more wrinkles and more development in his game. I just don't think he did enough in three to stand up. No, to to have caused enough damage to have nicked that round. Am I absolutely disgusted? No, I'm not because I could probably argue that Jan didn't do in enough enough, right? Um, so a split decision, no surprise whatsoever. 29-28, either way, absolutely no surprise whatsoever. Do I agree with it? No. I In the immediacy, I went Jan Blachowicz. I thought he'd done it. But do I understand it? Yeah, I do. And I think that's the key thing, especially with us understanding the scoring criteria. That's the key thing. You don't have to agree with everything, but as long as you understand what comes your way. Jan's only got himself to blame, you know, that he, di that he didn't get the decision. Just like just like Ankalaev. Just like the Ankalaev fight. Too many takedowns, too much, you know, top control pressure, but doing absolutely nothing with it. Too much stuff like that. You know, this old-fashioned mentality of, okay, I think I might be nicking this, so I'll just hold them on the ground now and see the round out. That mentality has to change. So in that way, it's a little bit like maybe a lot of fighters, old-school fighters like Jan will be like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not just going to take this guy down, hold him down, because I think I've done enough at this point. I need to make sure. I'm going to keep the fights down now. I'm going to try and get a submission. I'm going to keep fighting to the end of this fight to get the finish rather than, right, I've done enough now. Fucking get on the ground, right? Little huggy down here until the bell goes. Happy days. I've won. Way. Yeah. Maybe that's a positive thing. Unfortunately for Jan, it's come back and bit him on the arse twice now yeah. and back-to-back -back fights. But listen, they were both exhausted. Just like the light heavyweight fight in, um, in Salt Lake last year. Luke Rockhold and that. It, these big boys, man. You know, uh, we're lucky Derek Lewis created a little bit of fucking viral magic. Because otherwise, if that had gone two or three rounds, that would have been just a big fat sweaty mess. Because yeah. the gas tanks on DeLima and Lewis, when you look at Pahaya Blahovic, mate, they wouldn't have been able to pick their own hands up coming out for round number three. So we're lucky Derek produced something quite sensational. To uh, to rubber stamp his return in the big boy division. I love the fact that obviously Masvidal's cage side, and he's gone. Ah, I remember what you did. Yeah, go on then. I'll have a go at I'll that. <laughs> <laughs> Legs it out and just fucking throws a flying knee. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, mate, it was great. And everything about the Derek Lewis thing, obviously, you, you you're emotionally connected to him because he's just a top dude. You know the story. Everybody knows the story. He knows that he's having a little bit of a a tough time trying to get those wins in the UFC at the moment. As he announced, he's a free agent. This was his last one. I'm sure that the UFC are going to go, Derek, come on, mate. You're not going anywhere. How many, what do you need? 
come on, you saw, you heard the pop. Salt Lake City went wild for him. The guy took his fucking shorts off to celebrate for crying out loud. And then he told, says that he's going to go home and smash his missus all over bedroom. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is the guy. This is the guy. He does it, he does it in the octagon and then he does it on the microphone. Sweet as a nut. Give him another couple of fights. Sweet as. Beautiful, Derek. What did he actually say? He said something about getting up and getting all up in your guts or something. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Too much information, man. It was Jesus pr- it was, Christ. He, that post-fight speech, though. Mate, oh. It was amazing. It was amazing. He said something. He said something like uh, he, he he was doing dead sweet at the start, like that he loves his family and all this, and that he loves his wife, and he gave him a shout out, and he goes, "You better get ready." Cause I'm coming home to get all up in your guts, and I'm like, "What the, what the fuck, <laughs> Derek? Oh, come on, man!" man. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole post fight was amazing, though. The whole thing with Rogan, obviously, it helps that Rogan's obsessed with him, and they've got this like, like this. Yeah. That, Rogan was just laughing his head off. He didn't even do post fight analysis. He was just laughing his head off. He goes, "Look at this guy. He's throwing his cup into the funny into the crowd." Jesus, cup went in, gummy went in, gloves yeah. went in, and yeah. then he's like, "You know, the, 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 the post fight speech itself was just immense." I'm so glad I got to hear the whole thing on the uh, on the feed, and it never yeah. got bared. He tweeted out because uh, it, it, it was spectacular. But listen. Like Derek Lewis outside of Texas, at least without the pressure on him, is still going to do Derek Lewis things, man. You know, will he go in defeated for the rest of his career? No, probably not. Will he continue to deliver viral knockouts or be the victim of viral knockouts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. he will, because he's in a place right now where he's all talk of tactics and changing this and changing that and out the window now. Now it's just Derek Lewis going. You know what? Fuck it, man. I'm just going to run out there and throw shit. And if I land my shit, you get knocked out. And if you slip my shit and land on me, maybe I'll get knocked out. But you know what? He's quite willing to do that. And that's what he did here with, you know, with, with the Lima. It's one thing losing to uh, the likes of, you know, Cyril Gan, Tuivasa, Pavlovich, Spivak, people at the top of the, in the top 10 of the rankings. Something else losing to the Lima who's trying to get in those rankings. Um, Hence the reason why the UFC have let him run down to one fight on his contract because they were like, yeah, Derek, we'll give you a new contract, kid, but it ain't got all them zeros on because you ain't that guy no more. So this is your new contract. And he's gone, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I'll fight out me contract because I believe I'll win. I believe I'll create a viral moment. I believe I'll do Derek Lewis things. And you'll put that zero back on the end of my new contract and we're all happy days. And I guess that's what the situation that we're in. However, by stealing the show, by gambling on himself, by being promoted to the main card because Wonder Boy's fight fell off because of the the uh, the miss of weight, and which I fully support, by the way. But yeah. Wonder Wonder Boy's fight coming off went right. We're going to put you on the main card now. Sound. This is what I was gambling on. Put to the main card. Last fight in UFC career. All these eyeballs. I'm going to fucking run out. Sizz- I, I genuinely think when the bell went, he decided, I'll just run out and throw Sizzany. I don't think he was even thinking about it walking to the octagon. It's just one of those spare-the-moment things. Fuck it, let's get it on. Let's create a moment. He lands it, gets the ground and pound, gets the finish, sensational, takes off his shorts, got his boxes on. Joe Rogan's going ballistic. The crowd are going nuts. He rocks the microphone. He's in a sensational position. But I don't think he'd be rushing to sign anything. Because let's be honest here, I know Francis Ngannou's doing a freak show fight with Tyson Fury, but who else is he going to fight? Who else is Francis Ngannou going to fight in the PFL? There's nobody. And don't, listen, I remember the first fight before you go, whoa, 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 whoa. They fought once before, Nick. It was horrific. Yes. It was horrific. But Francis lost that fight. It was forgettable. But Francis lost that fight. There's a narrative PFL can sell here. One of the guys that beat Francis, we've got him. It's coming over. Look at his viral knockouts. More knockouts in the history of the UFC than anybody else. He's PFL now. He's fighting Francis Ngannou. Honestly, I think Black Beast has played this cards incredibly well here. And the UFC are going to have to put a few quid on the table to ensure he doesn't sell a narrative somewhere else. Because PFL would have been like, let's get our checkbook out. This is the guy. Otherwise, well, the other option is yeah, cross over with KSW for Phil DeFries. Phil DeFries yeah. 
would choke out Francis Ngannou. And then what you do, because you, you, your marquee heavyweight PFL has just been choked out by the king, the guy from KSW. What you do next? Whereas, of course, there's jeopardy with the power of the Black Beast. But that's about it. It's only that jeopardy of that power. Whereas Francis, I don't know, man. I think I think right now, Derek Lewis has played his cards incredibly well. Motherfucker's got options, kid, I'm telling you. Woo! You just brought up Wonderboy. I just want to quickly touch upon it because obviously the Wonderboy and Pereira fight uh, fell off because Michel Pereira on Friday hit 174. Now, you've got to treat every single situation on its own merits. There's certain times where I think, roll the dice. There's certain times that I go, absolutely, completely agree with the fighter. Think about where Wonderboy's currently at in his career. We're talking about 40-year-old fella taking on uh, Michel Pereira, who's hot as it comes right now. What, five, six wins on the spin, some very good wins in there. He's massive anyway, and he's coming overweight. By the time this guy rehydrates, you're talking about 200 pounds in there. Wonderboy doesn't blow up massively. He is what he is, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. This is a huge fight for Wonderboy. Huge fight. You're getting beat here, then all of a sudden, the aspirations of fighting your top 10 guys, your top five guys, are kind of out the window a little bit, and you're on, you know, the road to being a gatekeeper for top 15, and Stephen doesn't want to be there. I think that the decision to not fight was absolutely the correct decision for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. There's other occasions for those that maybe are starting out their career and have to take a little bit of a risk in order to get a little bit of a pop that I might have a different opinion as to rolling the dice and taking on someone that's missed weight. But in this particular situation, I absolutely agree with Stephen Thompson's decision or his team's decision. It won't be Wonderboy. Wonderboy will just say, I'll fucking fight him. But his team's decision that have taken it out of his hands and said, listen, mate, this is not where we're at. Plenty more. You know, we'll get you another fight. Don't worry about that. With New York coming up, we've got Vegas at the end of the year, maybe even Abu Dhabi, something like that. We'll get you something. You don't need to take this because this is high risk, very low reward for you at this stage of your career. I thought that was a correct decision. One thing that I didn't agree with was, and this is only report, I don't know if this is fact, the report that Stephen Thompson was not giving his show money. The guy turned up, he Wait, made weight, he, he, full, he fulfilled his part <laughs> of the contractual obligation. The reason why he didn't fight is because his opponent did not. He should be paid his show money. That's it, really. That's, all, that's my take on it. Yeah, 100%. I haven't seen that come from Wonderboy. I've seen it, I've seen it be reported. Yeah, that's what, I want to stress that because I don't know if that's official, but that's the report. Yeah, and hopefully that's not the case, you know, because as you say, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson has done absolutely nothing wrong here. In fact, he's drew a line in the sand that I think a lot of fighters should start following suit. I know it's easy to say that because a lot of these fighters are relying on the win bonus. They're relying on the, 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 the show money pays for camp. The win bonus fucking pays your mortgage. So mm. it's very difficult to be in a situation um, where you can turn down a fight, especially on the scales when you put all that work in. But I think more credence should be on that. And I think the way to get away from that, because I know Bispin, and, and, and you know, this is a, a thing he likes talking about is, uh, people come in heavy. You know, Dominic Cruz has got a theory that people come in heavy deliberately. I think there's an element of that. I, probably, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. There needs to be, and we've talked about this before, more punishments on someone who fails to make weight, not misses weight, fails to make weight. What, what was he, 174? That's yeah, three, three pounds pound over what he was contracted to do. That's not missing weight. That's failing to make weight. Missing weight is a couple of ounces, Five, maybe one. a pound, maybe a pound yeah. at the most. Coming at 172, Ah, you fucked it up. 174 is three pounds. You're not even within touching distance. Like you've completely fucked it. So that's failing to make weight. That's a difference. I think anything over a pound for men, and then maybe there's a different conversation for women, but certainly for men, if you're contracted for a, a non-title welterweight fight, i.e. 171 pounds, and you weigh anything north of 172, I think that 170, 171, between 171 and 172, right, fight progresses, you lose 20% of your pace. Happy, happy, sound. 
Anything north of 172, I think should be right. Fight progresses if he's happy. You lose 30% of your pace and you dock the points by the referee from the, at the first bell. So when the fight starts, referee docking a point. This guy didn't make weight, everyone. He did not fulfill his contractual obligations. He failed to make weight. Docking a point, docking a point, docking a point. And you start the fight one point down. I think that'd be fair. And I'll tell you what, mate, you wouldn't see as many people missing weight as you failing to make weight as you do now. That's a fucking fact. And if more fighters pull out, the UFC will be forced to move on it and make a decision and make this more of a rule. And again, I think there's a, a genuine conversation where maybe the girls get two pound or whatever it may be. But then again, you know what? I read an interview with Miranda Maverick last week and she was talking about periods and menstrual cycles and everything else. She said, I've been an athlete my entire career. I know how to manage it. So maybe there isn't necessarily a big credence on it because she's like, it is what it is. It's part of being a woman, bitches. You make fucking weight. So again, that's a different conversation. What I'm saying is this needs to be reviewed now. Otherwise, yeah. we need more fighters who are brave enough like Stephen Thompson to go, Nah, man, we we signed a contract to fight at this weight. You've not come close to it. You've failed to make the weight. Why should I proceed just to get 20% of your... What are you on anyway? 20% to 10 grand? I couldn't give a fuck, mate. I need the win. I want to climb the charts. I want this... Why should I risk it for you? Why should I risk it for the biscuit when I'm trying to fucking get in title contention? Big fan. Well done, Wonderboy. Yeah. Where are you at with Tony Ferguson? It's just heartbreaking to watch, wasn't it? Because we know the fighter he once was. And, and his body moves in a similar way. And the desires there, you can see it behind his eyes. He wants to win. He's there to win. He wants to do the things he used to do. But he's a beat too slow. Yeah. He's just a beat off it now. He's in fights, but he's not winning rounds. He's doing Tony Ferguson things, but it's not chaining together. He hasn't got the same impact he wants. Excuse me, he once had. He just looks old and stale. And that's hard, man. But this is the brutality of sports. This is the brutality of life. Catches up with everybody. Honestly, I honestly, in my 20s, I was a sight to behold, baby. And these days, I'm a flabby, wrinkly, balding mess. Still a sex, but I'm uh, honestly, it happens to everyone, kid. I remember you in your 20s. You had a head full of hair. Golden locks, beautiful. But it happens to us all, man. All our balls get lower. All our speeds slow down. Can't get up any morning. It hurts tying your shoelaces. It's part of being in your 40s. And as Tony Ferguson's knocking on that door, and the, the mind is willing, but the body's just not there no more. And it's hard to watch because he wants to win. He wants to do it. But it's just not there no more, man. You keep you keep saying this about your balls getting lower as you get older, man. What's the crack with that? It's true. It's true. Is it? Honestly, it's true. Stand naked in front of a mirror and have a proper look at yourself, and you'll be like, huh. <laughs> My cock used to hang lower than my balls. What's gone on here? What's gone on? It happens. It's like when a woman's boobs drop. It's gravity. Unfortunately, it happens, man. It happens. Doesn't matter how many times you empty your ball sack, eventually <laughs> it gets too heavy. Saggy balls. It happens. <laughs> Science. Uh, Science. <laughs> Science. <laughs> oh, listen. Great win, Bobby Green. He did what he had to do. He was younger, faster, sharper than Tony Ferguson, but this is not the Tony Ferguson. It's definitely a shadow of the artist formerly known as, which is a shame to see. Yeah. Uh, I, hope, I hope he's got some good people around him, Tony, to uh, to point him in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, Kevin Holland, mate, he, for all the chat, for all the character, for all the, you know, stopping dudes on the street committing crimes, the superhero that is Kevin Holland, when he stops fucking about, he's a he's very very good. He's so yeah. 
underrated as a mixed martial artist. Those in the game obviously know, listen, that, that, that guy is absolutely legit. But maybe the fans look at him, oh, he's my favourite character because he does this BMF stuff. He takes anybody, anytime, any place, anywhere. He talks the talk, he chats, the, he chats shit in the octagon. But when you actually take all that away and analyse him as an artist, he's very, very good. Very, very good. The things that he was doing to Michael Chiesa, who is also very good, mm-hmm. was top class. And I know that he went on the mic afterwards and he says, oh, I only came down here for some of that BMF stuff. I'm going to go back up to 185. Okay, I get it. And that is part of the attraction of Kevin Holland. But at 170, the dude is a problem, I'm telling you. He is very, very good. Extremely good. Extremely good. And Michael Chiesa's got a a horrific style. You know, everyone's terrified of Michael Chiesa because he has this all-out grappler and he frustrates you and he... And he has that ability to do it to anybody uh, at, a, at a very high level as well. And now I know he's been inactive for the last couple of years. We haven't seen Chiesa for a few years. But when he come out, when he walked into the octagon, I was like, that's the best strip I've seen on Michael Chiesa yeah, good, for a yeah. long time, mate. He had proper pecs on him. He had good shoulder definition. I was like, mate, you're in shape. Usually I'm used to this pigeon-chested, you know, bit of bum fluff on there, just like a typical grappler. You know, and but he was cut, man. He's obviously had a good S and C routine, and he come back to be like, right, I'm 35 now. I've had two years out. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna have a go. I'm gonna have a real push at this. But he's running to Kevin Holland, who just had the cheat code to him, that knew exactly what Chiesa was gonna do before Chiesa did it. He was just honestly, I, I just felt like Kevin Holland controlled every second of that fight. I know it only lasted two and a half minutes or whatever. But he knew what Chiesa was going to do. He knew when it, if I put the pressure on, you'll do this. If I do this, you'll do that. And it, and it just played out perfectly, right to the point where he pushed him against the fence, throws the tiny, doesn't even land. Tiny falls short. But Chiesa, by getting pulled down, thinks, right, here comes a knee. Sound. I'll shoot for that single leg. Take down. This is my, Michael Chiesa's world. It was almost like Kevin Holland went, yeah, pull you down. Here's a knee. It hasn't landed. Go on then. Shoot. He was already sprawling by the time Chiesa was reaching out with both hands. Yeah, here's me sprawl straight into a dars. La, 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 la. We drilled this a million times, didn't we, lads, eh? That's what it felt like. It was like, mm. fucking hell. You just basically big brothered him. Yeah, little brother. Come on. Put your hand on his head and watch him swing away. <laughs> Look at him. Funny this. Right, come here. That's what it felt like. And that's what Kevin Holland can do. He is that talented. You know, Mike, when we did the BT show yesterday, Mike had that perfect the what show? when he said. The what show? TNT. Sorry, yeah. Hey. Well, we did a fucking skit all about that. We did the <laughs> TNT, TNT wrap-up show yesterday for this. And Bispin made a great point. He was like, Kevin Holland used to be the joker. He used to be in there laughing and joking and talking. And, hey, hey all right, Khabib, what shall I do here? What shall I do? Hey, Dana, blah, blah, blah. And that was cool. That was part of his persona. Blah, blah. But it was also a mask. That was like, when he lost, it was like, ah, well, I'm, I'm here having a laugh, aren't I? It's funny, isn't it? Whereas now he seems a bit more focused. Now he seems a bit like, wait a minute. I've got all this bags of talent. What if I took it seriously? What if I really started to... Put my foot down and go, okay. Never mind taking late notice fights with Hamza and going toe-to-toe in a kickboxer mansion, Wonder Boy, doing stupid shit like that. What if I really applied myself? What if I really built a team around me to make yeah. me the best I could be? What will happen then? And I tell you what, that was a statement performance against Michael Chiesa. Really good. He controlled it every minute. I thought Kevin Holland was brilliant. And honestly, the, the future is bright. I just wish he'd stay at Welter. I think this is the weight. Yeah, I agree. You've got this size of fight. You're big, you're long, you know, you're, you're good, every, very good everywhere. Why go back up to middleweight? Listen, again, we don't, it's it's easy to say it when you're not making the weight cuts, but from what I'm seeing there, I'd be like, mate, fuck that. If you can do it, push on at 170, man. Yeah. Um, are you going to, uh, Show off a little bit because you've been telling people about Gabriel Bonfim for ages and the, he rocked up and did Gabriel Bonfim things. Koplov also on the prelims was absolutely tremendous. Who didn't necessarily have it all his own way, Koplov. I thought he lost the first round. I'll be dead honest about that. Uh, but when it was needed, we talked about Gaethje. That split second of elite mixed martial yeah. arts, set it up and deliver it. Koplov did the exact same thing. 
Yeah, a couple off was magnificent. That head kick was exactly Leon's head kick. You know, never mind the mirror and never mind it's on this side. Yeah, it was left side, yeah. That was yeah, Leon's yeah. side. He did exactly the same thing. Thing to the punch. Fucking Salvador ducked. Uh, Ribeiro ducked right. As he ducked right, the head kick fucking knocked him Sparko into the shadow realm. Exactly the same. Something about Salt Lake, something about head kicks, something about what Leon's left there as a as a legacy for all time that these people are finishing are following. But couple of listen, we we know he's a talented guy. Had a strange start to his UFC career, this Fedor prodigy that he is. But he's putting it together now. That's three knockouts on the spin. He's a real dude with one of the best haircuts in the sport. Massive, massive fan. <laughs> and then, yeah, man, listen, Gabriel Bonfim. I might not have been on the the the, uh, the gravy boat as quickly as I was with Shavkat's the future, but Bonfim's right up there, man. And maybe and the way brilliant. they're going, Bonfim versus Shavkat could be a fight we get in the future because yeah. this little Brazilian man, he's known as the Mallet, but he's got submissions <laughs> for days. He arrived at Dana White's Contender Series, drops a Von, a Von Flu choke. Okay, wow, impressive. Makes his debut in January. Pulls off a guillotine, 49 seconds. Okay, let's stick him on a pay-per-view card. Goes out to Salt Lake City, top of the prelims in this big pay-per-view. So he was on EABC in America, massive audience. This guy's just worn by guillotine in 49 seconds. Let's see what he can do now. We've stepped him up, Seven Giles, very experienced. Bit of a step up this. We'll probably get some rounds out of him. Nope. Nah. What was it? Ten seconds more? One minute and three, or one minute and yeah. ten seconds? Mate, from the first from the first exchange, you could see that he was fishing straight away, and you're thinking, "Oh shit!" Right, beware, he's coming, and he just. This is a guy. It's got a couple of knockouts, but that's twelve. Finished every fight, fifteen and zero, all finishes, twelve submissions, three knockouts. Is he a specialist? Yes. Is he a monster? Absolutely. Are we on the gravy train? Choo choo. Yep. We sure is. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Any more for any more? Or are you done? I'm done. As you say, it was a fucking card that was just littered with amazing stuff, wasn't it? Medic dropped an amazing spin and back fist. Jake Matthews turned back the clock. Looked great, albeit against a stand-in. Just a fucking brilliant fight card. One of the best fight cards of the year. And the atmosphere in Salt Lake. Look mega. Absolutely Lake, yeah. mega. From the first yeah. fight... Miranda Maverick fight, I think it was, right to the end. The atmosphere, it was like London. Last, let's, let's be honest, it felt like you were watching a show in London or in Dublin. The, the, the crowd in Salt Lake, it's like they turned out last year and went, mate, that was amazing. If they come back, I'm going again. And this time we've gone, right, we're coming back and we're going to do the BMF. And everyone in, in Utah has gone, I am not missing it this time. Everyone went and said it was amazing, I'm going. And they turned up and they rocked the joint. And what happens when the fans turn up? When the atmosphere is amazing, we get amazing shit, man. And that's what this was. Eight finishes and 11 fights. Amazing. Mm. Uh, there you go. Um, as you know, if you are a regular follower to the Fight Disciples, your August is always a little bit disjointed because it's holiday season. You're having your holidays, we're having our holidays. So this is my last one for a few weeks on the show. Uh, the show will continue. Then Nick will be off and then I'll be on with... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll patch it all together. So over the next month or so, it's going to be a little bit all over the place. I know that we've got uh, 292 coming up from Boston where Aljo's taking on uh, Sean O'Malley. So we'll have some stuff for you. We'll have some other fights as well previewed uh, throughout the course of the next month. So a little bit of a heads up, a little bit of a warning that over the next month, fight samples will sound and look a little bit different. We'll be back, ready to rock and roll for the start of September in UFC Paris, uh, which kick off that month, all right? Uh, so... With that being said, thank you very much for tuning in. Please subscribe to us. You can do it via our website, fightdisciples.com. We're all over uh, YouTube as well. Hit that subscription button. Leave your comments. Let us know your thoughts on the fantastic card at the weekend. Uh, and if you are going on holiday, enjoy it. But we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.